the four-wheel chase experience. I love it. The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. What's up, Jeff? It's good to chat some football with you. My pleasure, Will. Always, uh, always a blast to hop on your pod with you. So uh, let's talk about the NFL season, man. We're uh, five weeks in, and uh, you know it just never fails to be uh, fun to break down the NFL. So I'm ready whenever you are, my man. Yeah, I was thinking about how we're already in the week six already. It just it goes fast, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, just time flies when you're having fun with the NFL, and it seems like they're never short of storylines as well. So. Uh, uh, you know, just wherever you want to start, I'm ready to roll. What do you want to hit on? Yeah, I think those Thursday games kind of make the weeks a little shorter sometimes, which is always good. But uh, yeah, how are your fantasy teams doing so far? So far, um, pretty solid. Let's see. So I am back in a seventh league this year. I'm in the past on six and tried to keep it at as, as my max at six, but I got roped into... Uh, I say roped, but I was intrigued by the uh, by the uh, buy-in and payouts of a big money league. So I hopped up, hopped into a seventh league, which is kind of my max personally for what I like to do. Because after that, I just feel like it's too much, too hard to like, pre- have, you know, uh, have the proper amount of bandwidth to keep every team kind of relevant. So seven is really like the max that I like to do so uh and let's see i think all of them are still viable i only one team is under 500 and that team has uh caught a little bit of bad luck in terms of schedules so uh and then one team one of the seven is off to a really good start so you know nothing great but i think uh for the most part been pretty solid so can't complain yeah, my team has been decimated by injury. Uh, Joe Burrow has been struggling, although he looked like he was back last week against Arizona. But uh, yeah, my team has been dealing with a lot of injury and struggles. No, I, I totally get it. And I think it's one of those things, too, where you you look at it. And I guess the one nice thing about getting in so many leagues is that I try, I try and uh, diversify a little bit. Like, there's still plenty of guys who are on a lot of the, you know, I have a lot of the same players on a lot of my teams. But for the most part, like it gives you an opportunity. I think in three of the seven leagues, I have, I have, I have like a two a Tua Tyree Kill or a Tua Jalen Waddle combination. So those teams obviously are off to pretty good starts. So you know, that's, it gives you a chance to try different things. So that's what I actually like about being in, you know, multiple leagues. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I did want to get your thoughts on the NFL over in Europe and, of course, primarily London. We've got some games these days in Germany, but uh, we've been and it's been going on for quite a while at this point. It's it's just increasing. And uh, I was curious, though, because the, the Jaguars, I think this is the first time they've had back to back weeks over there in the same season. And they just had their second game over there, over there. They beat the Bills. And what were your thoughts in terms of the fact that, you know, the Jags had two straight weeks there. So at least for that second game, I'm sure they were pretty acclimated to everything. And whereas the Bills were coming in, you know, from the States, uh, do you think it impacted a team like Buffalo? And they were coming off that beatdown of the Dolphins a week prior. And I know someone said something like the travel isn't – too different than if they were going to say, you know, Seattle, I guess, from the East Coast. But still, you're talking London, you're talking time change. What do you think about all that? Yeah, no, I know. And I think the Seattle model is probably 
the most interesting one, right? And the Jaguars absolutely, I think, took advantage of being there for the extra week. Week played well for them. Um, you know, I, it's one of those. It's hard. Like, you know, I'm I'm kind of like a data guy when it comes to trying to figure out. Okay, are there any actual trends here? And the the reality is, what you just pointed out is there's no trends to work off, of, right? Like, it's the first time a team's ever played in London back to back weeks. Um, I'm sure that this won't be the last time that the Jaguars do it because they really don't really, they're not leaving much in terms of a home field advantage in Jacksonville because they don't really draw well. So they're more than happy to give up a home game each year. And then the truth is that they only had to give up one home game because technically the Bills were the home game last week, right? So the Jaguars, they seem to be the guinea pig and honestly the willing guinea pig for the NFL because they're more than happy to play these multiple games in London. What I'm interested in is will the NFL, you know, finally commit one of these years to actually having a team in London, right? Like that's what I can't really get my head around. Like how do you have a franchise in London operate? Because it would be, every team would be coming, you know, have a huge disadvantage in terms of like, the, you know, the, the, as a road team, but then if the team that was based in London came back to the States for their road games, talk about a huge disadvantage for them. Right. And so, but clearly the NFL is committed to the only place they can truly grow the game is across the pond, you know, in the European market, primarily England. And so that's where they're looking for their next great growth opportunity. And so, so I have no doubt that, they're trying to envision a scenario where they have a franchise there. Um, will they ultimately move, you know, to like 34, 36 teams in the, in the NFL? I think that's probably their ultimate goal um, one day. And with the idea of having a franchise in London, but then you think about logistically, sure, you can kind of like play it out where they would do it and commit to it. But is are there ever going to be like, free agencies are there are there ever going to be really free agents who want to go and play in london it's highly unlikely you might get the rare one-offs but talk about a huge disadvantage for a franchise being based in london england right when the 99 percent of your your player pool is going to be from america so are they really going to want to go you know what i mean like yeah. so those are the things i, I kind of like wrap my head around um in terms of like the advantages for like team like jacksonville i mean it's hard to really measure, right? Because more often than not, they really haven't been like a great team in the league. So like, do they have any huge advantage, home and field advantage that they have that they wouldn't have playing just in Jacksonville versus other teams? So I think it, I find it really hard to like put my finger on taking, drawing too many grand conclusions from it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just kind of watching and seeing how it plays out, but without having a strong opinion on it, because again, like it's such, and then you get, whatever, another four games from whatever, the other eight teams that are participating in whatever series it happens to be, right? The international series. So I, I don't know. It's it's just this weird, for, from a, a viewer standpoint, for me, it's just this weird, okay, four, six times a year, there's going to be these random 8.30 a.m. Sunday games that are going to be there that I kind of have to monitor that are in a lot of ways just like a Thursday night game because they're – you don't. You never feel like you're getting a team's best effort, right? Like you always feel like something's 
just a little off. Like the Bills aren't playing up to their, you know, their best. And even even Jacksonville doesn't seem to play well in these games, even though they they find their way to winning that winning them. It just I don't know. I don't I don't have a, a draw a strong conclusion. Like how about you, Will? I I don't know. What do you what do you take away from these early Sunday games that we're all watching? Yeah, it's funny because I agree. The games are kind of shitty sometimes, but at the same time, it's cool. It's a, it's a game on my TV at 10 a.m. or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. I'll have it on in the background or, you know, I'm, I'm probably really not super glued into it because it's usually like Jacksonville and, you know. Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. Just some random matchup, but. Uh, and of course, if I have a fantasy implication, that'll help too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you, I guess. Yeah. The Thursday games too. It's, and I don't even have Amazon, but I've been watching it lately. Cause I've been, you know, I have a friend that has Amazon, so we'll watch games, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, like you said, I've, I was going to ask you the same thing. Could, like, could you see a team over there? And I was wondering too, if a team did go to London as an actual franchise, I wonder if they, I mean, I assume the contracts would not be in pounds and they would still be in dollars, but it's such a, it's such a weird dynamic to think about. Like you said, they would be, these, these players would be committing to living in Europe for at least half the year, basically. The most interesting idea I've heard presented is the idea that you would sell, if you wanted to have a London, if you tried to tap into the London market, what you could do theoretically is sell a season ticket package where you would have eight or I guess nine home games that you would be purchasing. And then you would just have eight or nine games in London. Um, and you'd probably pick out like probably Tottenham Hotspur stadium because that's where they have most of their games because it's the newest stadium there in London and it's based in London. So it's obviously a big city. So you could sell a season ticket package, the idea of eight home games to NFL fans in London, but then you wouldn't have an actual team that you're purchasing it for. You're just a huge NFL fan that gets to see eight different teams or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's the most interesting idea that I've seen presented that I, you know, that makes the most sense to me. And then you don't have the London problem of, of free agency. I just don't, I don't think it's, you know, you, you can't competitively have an, have a London franchise, you know, and then say, okay, because like this is just the NFL's hubris though. I could see them putting a team in London and then all of a sudden two, three years in immediately coming to the realization that no NFL free agents are signing that. Right. Like, like, it's just, it it would be highly unlikely that they would get, you know, first they would get any guys who are truly coveted in free agency to sign there. They would only be able to grab like the leftovers that they had to overpay and so that's where you'd be at a huge disadvantage as a franchise. And I just don't see how you work around that because until I, until I see it, I don't believe NFL American NFL players for the most part are going to want to choose to be in London. And honestly, I could easily see too, you'd have some, I could see some players who would be drafted by said London franchise who would be pissed off and would like, you know, do their best, to, especially if they were, you know, highly coveted players who would do their best to like force a move where they would be, you know, forced to be traded. Just, I don't see it working um, in London by like, you know, by players who don't choose to like play there. It's just, it seems a little silly to me. So. Do you like the NFL expanding and doing Germany and making it like five or six games a year now over there? I mean, I don't know. I kind of just feel like they just fall into the, you know, 
the same bucket as the the London thing. It's like, okay, it's just another international game. It doesn't really do much for me personally as a viewer. It's more about if, I guess, you know, as a Bears fan, if the Bears happen to be playing in one of these games, you know, is it an excuse to maybe go, you know, across the Europe to someplace like Germany, to someplace like England, and, and maybe, like, make it, like, a week-long trip, you know, or 10 days where you get to go see your, your, your favorite football team play football in that country, and it gives you an excuse to do it. Maybe that's something that's a little bit interesting. But, again, you're talking about then you need to have, like, you know, that's a that's a pricey trip for most people. They have to, you know, you, if you're going to go to – if you're going to go to Europe for whatever reason, you, a lot of people like to plan for that a year in advance at least, right, to kind of, like, save up for it. So it's, like, one of those things where if I'm, if I'm planning to do that, I don't necessarily – I personally don't need my football team to be the reason why I'm going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just, like, I guess it's more for locals there who want to go see a team play football, but – you know, it just, it feels more than anything else. It just feels like a cash grab by the NFL. Like how can they, they're, they're thinking to themselves, how can we extract more money from different revenue streams? Because they feel like they've hit a saturation point in the U S. And so now it's like, okay, well, where are we going to do this? We're going to have to do it in other markets. And Europe is the most viable one for them realistically around the world that they haven't really, you know, tapped into just yet. I find it interesting. You mentioned, you said there, Will, that you like for Thursday night football now that it's on Amazon, you know, you, you don't even subscribe to Amazon, but you're just, you know, using a friend's password, which I, a lot of people share passwords, you know, for st- different streaming services. And you're a huge NFL fan. Is there a point where you're like, if for whatever reason, if Amazon cracked down on codes like Netflix has been doing the last year or so, do you think you would, you know, purchase Amazon Prime for the just for the Thursday night games or are you just like the like you said the Thursday games are so bad that you're not necessarily compelled to like watch it yeah I, I wouldn't subscribe just because same thing with Peacock and baseball I have the MLB package and I'm like I'm not gonna buy Peacock and actually the same friend gave me the Peacock login too so it worked out there too but it, it just happened to work out this past week because the prior few weeks I would go to his house and this time I was like yeah you can come over here and then I was like oh wait I don't have Amazon you'd have to log in which he did and, and I was like okay that works but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out of my way to buy it because I'm. I'm thinking, okay, it's one game. I can just follow follow along on my phone or online or whatever. Now, if it was a every Sunday thing, I could see where I would make that uh, adjustment because you know I used to pay for baseball and then I got it for free through my phone. So um, yeah, I, I in that case for Amazon, I wouldn't. Although I would also make the if I were to do that, I would make use of Amazon a lot more often too. Yeah, you know. Um... Because, for instance, I was, I was like almost positive I was going to buy YouTube TV when the NFL ticket, the Sunday ticket, moved to them this year, because I've been a Direct TV subscriber basically since I uh, moved into my own apartment with my wife uh, back when we were living together before we were married. I it was like the only, only my only thing I wanted was like I'm getting Direct TV because I want the Sunday ticket. And I had had it, you know, for a long time, basically since I think it began in like 93, um, 1993. I think that's when they started streaming um, all the games on the Sunday ticket on direct TV. And it had been on that, for, you know, and I think I, I think my dad purchased it like the second year that it was available. And so basically and then it was like for me, it was like that was my 
you know, crack cocaine. I was like hooked and addicted the moment that my dad purchased it. And so I had basically been, you know, a direct TV subscriber for as long as I could remember. And I thought for sure when they announced the move away from direct TV, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to have to go to YouTube TV, but I have my, you know, a lot of different TVs set up through direct TV. So I wasn't like looking forward to it. And then sure enough, as the NFL season was approaching, I realized, oh, well, direct TV picked up the NFL red zone this year. And like, I'm going to get, you know, multiple local games. And the truth is too, like with my uh, work responsibilities for like the Bears for the post post game show during the season, I like, don't necessarily like, yeah, I'm not going to be home like from like four thirty to seven thirty most Sundays. So I was like, do I really need it? And I was like, you know, I'm going to, let me see how the first Sunday goes. And sure enough with the, uh, you know, I had the red zone, I had the local games. I was like, I don't think I need it as much as I thought I did. And so I kind of like have just held off on, you know, grabbing YouTube TV and sure enough, I don't feel like I'm missing anything because, like I said, I'm still watching a lot of games. I'm watching the, the Red Zone every week. So it's one of those things where – and then I can always – if I feel like I need to, I, I do have access to, uh, you know, the All-22 package the NFL has available. So, like, you know, I can go back and watch games if I want. So it's weird because I thought for sure I was going to purchase it. But then as the season approached, I was like, you know what? As much as I love the NFL, even the NFL is not something where it's going to drive me to, like – go buy something if I can find other avenues. How how has it been for you this year? Uh, you mentioned ESPN uh, 1000 with the Bears coverage. So you're doing the fantasy football show early in the morning, and then you're on usually, depending on when the Bears play, kind of either late at night or late into the afternoon. So how has that been for you this year? So, I mean, yeah, it's the, let's see. So we're, you know, through five weeks. And the Bears had one Thursday night game this past week, so that was – I didn't have to worry about anything on a Sunday. And then the other weeks they've had, um, you know, a couple of – I think a couple of noon games and then a couple of 325 games. Yeah. So the 320, I'd say it's been um, it's been fine. You know, I really haven't had any issues with it. It's, you know, I think the nice thing for me is that even, even on a noon game, I'll watch the Bears game at home – and then, like I said, I'll have the red zone going and then whatever other local game happens to be on in the market. And then as soon as the Bears game basically wraps up, that's when I'll usually drive down to the studio to do the post-post show, which is two hours after the game wraps up because uh, Yurko and Peggy have the post-game show on the radio network. So once they're done, then I'll hop on with Jason McKee and Pat the designer and we'll do the show. And um, honestly, it's been totally cool. I haven't had any issues. I would say the... The only one that was even, you know, I would consider like difficult or whatever, however you want to classify it, was this past Thursday night because we didn't get on till, oh, you know, like midnight, mm. and you know we were we were on till two a.m. and in, like just you know when you're um, staying up till two a.m. is not a problem, but like hosting a radio show when you don't normally do it at that time, like having energy yeah. and just that was it. That one was probably the hardest one we had to do, and it was the first win of the season. So, you know, it was actually the best game to respond to, but that was the hardest actually because of the time it fell was the hardest actual post game show to do. I was thinking about that. I was like, I, there's no way I can stay up on a work night, but I would have caught some if I could have, but I know I could always go back and listen to the pod though also. Yeah, no, it was, it was still good. It was no, you know, it was fine. It was just, like I said, 
that one was a little late. Yeah. So Bears offense, has it finally turned a corner or is this just a, a you know, the last two defenses, Denver and Washington, just not being great? However, the Bears took advantage of at least Washington. Yeah, no, I still feel like it's it's TBD, right? It's yeah. uh, to be determined still. Um, we don't have to make any actual determinations on, you know, Justin Fields right now. Yeah. I'm highly encouraged, though, because these past two games, he's actually looked like a pocket passer, you know, who can, you know, run uh, the offense that Luke Getze is asking him to run and taking advantage of what DJ Moore is capable of. It looked impressive for once. So it was encouraging, unlike last year where he just, you know, it was the running skills for the most part on display to see him operate from inside the pocket and just throw some of those passes where, uh, you know, we're talking about like the 30 yard laser. The, I think it was the second touchdown to DJ Moore where, you know, he uh, held the safety with his eyes and then just rips it in the, to the corner of the end zone. You know, seeing him make plays like that, that's like a Patrick Mahomes level pass, right? And so to see him do that was really cool and exciting for me as a Bears fan to watch. So I'm hoping that we get to see more of that as the season progresses. And against the Vikings this week, he's got an opportunity, I think, to take advantage of a secondary that is suspect, just you know, just like the Bears is. And I do think he's going to need to score some points, though, in the Bears, you know, because their defense is still susceptible to giving up big plays that uh, as well. So I think it's you need to see. Fields continue to show that he can do what they want him to do from inside the pocket. But, like, it was about as excited as I've been watching him operate. So I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that he ends up being, you know, the great quarterback that they can continue to build around. But I think, I guess more than anything, I'm hopeful that he really makes it definitive, right? Like, that there's no doubt that you have the guy because, of course, the Caleb Williams question is lurking with the Bears holding the Panthers' first-round pick next year, which, which right now would be first overall. So that's more than anything else. It's like leave no doubt one way or the other, Justin Fields, that you are or you are not the guy. Because I, I that's the one. My one greatest fear would be that the Bears are kind of uncertain because he looks really good for one season, but maybe still you're you know you're still like a little bit questioning, oh my God, what what do you do here? That's my biggest fear is that you would either trade a guy who has shown you that he's ha- he has a lot of great skills in favor of the unknown with Caleb Williams, who everyone has kind of, you know, um, uh, exalted as the next great quarterback in the league. You know, I, I, I'd hate for you to trade away a guy who shows a lot of promise for a guy who has yet to play an NFL down based on, you know, the hope that he can live up to the hype, but at the same time, um, it also hates for the Bears to trade the idea of Caleb Williams away, and then right away you quickly next season find out, oh wait, Justin Fields isn't as good as Caleb Williams. So it's you know I don't have the answers, right? But um, it is my biggest fear as a Bears fan right now. Yeah, maybe those answers get a little bit more clearer one way or the other. But let's say the Bears, you know, finish with five or so wins and Fields, you know does pretty well. Maybe he's not dominating. He's not putting up 40 every week, but he's also, you know, looking inept, like maybe the first few weeks of the season. So he's doing, you know, he's doing, he's, he's showing progress, but you're not, 
maybe sold one way or the other. And let's say Caleb Williams wins the Heisman or at least, you know, finishes the year looking pretty, pretty good as the top overall pick. Uh, would you, if you had the first two picks, if you were the GM, would you be inclined to draft him and sort it out in camp or uh, maybe trade that pick and get a haul back like they did this past off season? Yeah. So it's, I was, I, you asked me that question and I was kind of thinking about it actually earlier today, like what would be the move, right? I don't think in this era of football, you you could realistically operate keeping Justin Fields on the roster and drafting Caleb Williams. If you drafted Caleb Williams, if you were the Bears, you would have to, I think you'd have to trade Justin Fields away. You'd have to, you know, and assuming based on what you just said, like that he played fairly well, he didn't play himself out of a starting job in the NFL because that was, I think after three weeks, that was my concern was, oh my God, Justin Fields might be like, this might be his last season as a starting quarterback in the league. That's how, poorly things were going after the first three weeks but you know they got they they righted themselves against the broncos and then of course they looked really good on thursday against the commander so i think we're you know kind of showing like as long as he continues to play at a decent level he'll be starting next year whether it's for the bears or not is the question i don't think though in this this iteration of the nfl you could have caleb williams and justin field on the same roster so if you were the bears I think you'd have to say either you're going forward with drafting Caleb Williams if you had the first overall pick, or you'd have to ride with Justin Fields and then just trade the first overall pick to whoever would the highest whoever the highest bidder would be, and then just start surrounding Justin Fields with more talent. Because I don't think in this league anymore you could like you have Caleb Williams would demand like if he was drafted he'd demand to be the starter right like and he has a little bit of leverage too with. You know, he could always go back to UFC, uh, USC for another season if he wanted to, right, and force his way in to a spot where the Bears, you know, you certainly wouldn't want um, to, like, miss the opportunity to either draft him or to, like, you know, get the haul back for that first overall pick. So I think if you're the Bears, you're going to either have to go with Fields, you're going to have to make the decision before the draft next year. And I think, you know, Ultimately, if it's if it's close at all, if, if you have any, if Justin Fields doesn't make it crystal clear he's the guy, then I think you're just gonna they're probably gonna trade him away, and they will go ahead and you know take Caleb Williams if they have the if they're lucky enough to have the opportunity to, and I think at this point it will be with Carolina Panthers pick because um, what I saw the last couple of weeks, I think the Bears are going to play too too well for them to have that first overall pick with with their own pick. So I think it's going to be the Panthers being bad enough to give them the opportunity to pick first overall. Yeah. The bears actually might have a favorable schedule with the, the Vikings, the Raiders, uh, I, the chargers are on there. I, the chargers are good, but they're always kind of weird sometimes. And I'm sure you have thoughts on Staley and some of the uh, decisions that has, he has made coaching the chargers over the last couple of weeks or so. But uh, yeah, I do feel like the bears if the offense can show what they've been doing, they should win at least a few of these games coming up or, you know, over the course of the, of the season coming up. Yeah, I, it does. The schedule does play in their favor. I think over the next couple of weeks, yeah, the Vikings without Justin Jefferson at, you know, at soldier field uh, with a couple extra days rest on the Vikings as well. That's, I think a huge plus for the bears. So um, I know this, 
point spread, especially now that Jefferson has been ruled out, placed on injured reserve. I know that the point spread has been creeping back towards the Bears. I think it, you know, I think it's now like, you know, two, two and a half, depending on when you're listening to the pod here. Um, in the Viking, you know, my the Vikings are minus two, two and a half, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get to kick it, you know, closer to a pick um, or even the Bears laying a point, uh, you know, half a point or a point by the time we get to kick off. Because I think, you know, that's, you know, Jefferson just, just means that much to that offense there. And with the Bears playing well the last time out, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see that number get there. Um, and then, yeah, the Raiders, you saw it on Monday Night Football against the Packers. They won the game, but certainly they're not a team that's going to go out and blow anybody out. So the Bears should be, you know, at least competitive in that game. And then, yeah, you mentioned the Chargers as well. Um, yeah, Brandon Staley seems, can't seem to get out of his own way and just kind of let Justin Herbert, you know, do his thing. So they're always a beatable team. You never know which team's going to show up. They can beat the best and they can also lose to the worst and on a week in a week out basis, which is why I don't think, you know, Staley is, uh, unfortunately for him, I don't think he's long for the job. He'll probably, I think Justin Herbert's good enough where he'll keep them competitive and at least in the playoff race. So I think ultimately the Chargers, whether they make the playoffs or kind of get bounced in the, in, you know, in the first or second round, I could very easily see Staley um, being let go at the end of the season. And then the Chargers will be searching for somebody to pair with Herbert, you know, uh, down the road here. Um, and then, so yeah, it's, and it's one of those things too, where I think the Bears, if they, if they can get this, game against the Vikings here, I could see them building up a little bit of confidence too. And so wouldn't be surprised at all if they go on a little run here where they win, you know, three in a row heading into that Chargers game. And then if you build some confidence, who knows what can happen, right? All of a sudden you're in the mix for, um, you know, you could start talking yourself into the Bears being in the NFC North race. If the, uh, the Lions lose one of those games, all of a sudden you're like, well, the Bears still have two left against the Lions. So who knows, right? So I could I could very easily see us getting um, a couple weeks removed from this win over the Commanders, and all of a sudden the Bears are, you know, three and four and back in the race for the NFC North. I could very easily see a conversation happening um, like that in a couple weeks. Yeah, if the Bears could get to three and four, all of a sudden I feel like it would feel like they you know, won the Super Bowl or something compared to how things were a few weeks ago. The Chief, going into the Chiefs game and everything. Like, like, right, like right now, um, you know, we're recording this on, uh, on a Tuesday night after the Monday night football game between the Packers and Raiders. And, you know, Jefferson's been ruled out of this game. Like, I mean, if, if, if you had to make a prediction right now, the Bears are one and four. You, do you think they're going to win this? Like, or I guess, what's, the, what's your prediction on their record the next two games? Well, with the Vikings and Raiders. So I actually am picking them to beat Minnesota. And this is the first time this year where I actually am picking the Bears to win a game. In my survival pool, I actually picked Denver over the Bears a few weeks ago. And when it was 28-7, I actually thought, oh, that's not going to work out. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I didn't think they were going to beat Washington. And they obliterated them. So I'm actually, I'm on I'm on the wagon in terms of the, where the offense is. If they do what they were you know, maybe not 40, but they're, they can put up 25, 30 and you're playing Minnesota without Jefferson and Minnesota's one and four. So I have them beating Minnesota. And depending on that game, I could, I would definitely pick them to beat the Raiders depending on how they play on Sunday. Cause I don't, I, I never believed in, in the Raiders either. So, so it's one of those things where I almost feel like 
if right now, and I, again, I, I, I won't be like things can completely change. But yeah. if they beat the Vikings, then I, then I kind of expect them to beat the Raiders too. So, um, you know, and I do expect them to beat the Vikings just the way they played and the way the schedule sets up for them right now. So, I, I think they'll be, beat the Vikings, and then based on that, I think you know they get that win, and then it wouldn't be surprising at all if they beat the Raiders. So, I kind of right now expect them to be three and four at the end of uh, after having played seven games, which. You know, I think a lot of people would take considering where they where they were starting and how things were feeling. And I was going to ask you, did the Bears already hit their rock bottom a few weeks ago with the whole Allen Williams resignation and uh, the storylines around that? And Chase Claypool was gone. And uh, I don't want to put too much stock in the whole Claypool thing, but maybe it's like a breath of fresh air in that locker room without him being there anymore. I don't know, but uh, they put up forty right after he left. <laughs> yeah. So you know. It's funny because so I was hosting with Waddle the day after the Chiefs game, um, Taylor Swift mania, of course, hitting the NFL. And, you know, I was making the argument that I thought the Bears were absolutely at rock bottom. And because they were, they were, they opened as a under a home underdog to that Broncos team that had just given up. 70 points to the Dolphins. And I was, I, I said, I think this is rock bottom. And Waddle was asking, well, what if they lose to the Broncos next week? And because of the way they lost to the Broncos, I don't think like it was a bad loss, but I don't think it was rock bottom because, because of the way the offense operated in that first half. Right. And we all know the defense is not good right now. They've got some work to do, but they're dealing with a lot of injuries in the secondary too. So that was supposed to be the strength of their defense. So I, I feel like they hit rock bottom after that chiefs game. When you open as a home underdog to a team that just got blown up by, you know, 50 points that that gave up 70, that to me was rock bottom. Even though the Broncos, even though they they gave up the, the lead to the Broncos, like, I thought they were competitive in that game, and it was just so firm. I think they've hit rock bottom. Um, Chase Claypool not being there, I think we've seen the last couple of weeks, he was getting in the way. I don't think he was offering much. He didn't seem to know the playbook. I mean, we heard about how it was hard to pick up the playbook the entire, whatever it was, 10 games that he was with the Bears last season. Um, that's one of those things where when you hear that, it's like, read. I think it's, you can read between the lines a little bit and say, wait a minute here. I don't care if it, yeah, you didn't have an off season to pick up the playbook, but a true professional who's committed to their craft would probably pick up the playbook in within a month, right? Like it might take them a little bit. They might not know it backwards and forwards, but they would be a contributor and they would probably know where they needed to be at least within a month. And the fact that Chase Claypool, they were still offering up that excuse, I think was uh, alarm bells should have been going off for any uh, Bears fans if they weren't already. And yeah, I think um, it was, it it was not going to be salvageable for the Bears at this point. So they had to move on. I will say, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mike McDaniel puts Claypool in position to make some plays and, you know, he he has an offense, you know, operating where he's he's probably not going to ask, Claypool to do too much and basically because Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and then Devon Achan if you know if and when he gets back out onto the field healthy that's so much speed for teams to deal with they're basically going to you know they won't even have to they won't even be accounting for Claypool so I could see scenarios where Claypool gets to be uh you know run as a free runner down the field at times and you know 
basically because no one's paying attention to him. He'll make some plays for the Dolphins. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that ends up happening. But that was never going to happen here in Chicago, so they had to cut ties. Um, my biggest issue with the whole Claypool trade continues to be the, the flawed process with which I think Ryan Poles, you know, attacked that whole deal. Uh, for me, once you decided that you were trading Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith and you were knowingly making your defense worse like you did last year, then it was a bad decision to trade a second-round pick not knowing where it was going to be, right? Like, you're trading a future second-round pick, but you're knowingly going to, you know, go into next year being a, a team where you're probably going to give up a high asset. I didn't like that that flawed logic. Like, if you were trading Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith like you did last year, then you shouldn't be trading away your second-round pick, which could end up being high. Like, if you wanted to trade Chase Claypool, or I'm sorry, trade for Chase Claypool, then I don't think you should have done so on the heels after you just traded your two best defensive players on the roster like you did last year. So that's, for me, the, the problem with... I hope Ryan Poles learns from that. And, you know, and truth be told, he may not need to learn from it because he may never be in that position again. But I just don't like trading, you know, high draft capital when you know you're probably in a season where you're basically, you know, you're tanking without tanking. So hopefully he learns from it. Hopefully he never even has to, has to like, find himself in that position again. But that, that, to me, is where I'm critical of him, is I don't like the decision to trade good players and then also trade a draft asset in the same season where those players could have helped you from being you know, a bottom feeder. What are your notable surprises around the NFL so far or anything that's caught your attention? Um, I, so we hit on a little bit, but the Dolphins, you know, Mike McDaniel really tapping into the advantages of running uh, a motion offense and, you know, seeing the Dolphins and the 49ers both run the most off, uh, most motion in the NFL <laughs> watching their offenses just basically run roughshod over the rest of the league. Um, I'm, I'll be curious to see how teams adapt, right? Like the Bills, the Bills were the only team that really handled the Dolphins well this season so um i'll be curious to see what other teams can adapt to that um and then of course you know if the 49ers stay healthy they they look like to me the clear nfc representative for the super bowl um i don't think the chiefs are nearly as good as they were last year i think they're lacking some offensive help for patrick Mahomes and travis kelsey so um i'm go- I'm, I'm curious to see how the Chiefs adapt, can they, like, it's so hard once you're in season to really find those players, right? Like, I don't know if the Chiefs have enough offensive skilled position players on the roster to, you know, make that, you know, Super Bowl run like they have in the past. I mean, I like Pacheco. Um, Of course, Kelsey's, you know, great when he's healthy, but I don't know if Mahomes is going to have enough to, you know, put up the points that's going to be needed. I think, if anything, the Chiefs are going to need to lean on what is a better and more improved defense. They're going to need to they're going to need that defense to step up a little more this year if they're going to make a run at another Super Bowl. Um, and so, like, it looks to me like, you know, barring injury, I think this is the 49ers Super Bowl to lose here. That's kind of how I feel as we're in, you know, week uh, week week six here. It's like the the 49ers offense is awesome. And, oh, by the way, 
their defense is even better. So when you've got that combination going, I think if they could ab- avoid injury, and uh, like I think it's you know well known my affection for Kyle Shanahan. So I think uh, the 49ers are set up to uh, basically. It feels like they're Super Bowl to lose to me. Are you excited for the Connor Bedard mania? Absolutely, man. Actually, uh, driving home right now, we're about uh, I don't know twelve to fifteen minutes away from puck drop. So I'm headed home now. I've got uh, I've got my DVR set because I'm gonna have to uh, shuttle my kids around a little bit. My daughter's got a singing lesson that I have to take her to. Um, so I have the game recorded on my or set to record on my DVR. I can probably watch the first period for about fifteen minutes before I have to drive and take her to her singing lesson. So. And then I'll come home and then I'll watch the rest of the game. But yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited, and it's the first time in a while that I've been excited for a Blackhawks game. So uh, yeah, pretty pumped about the fact that the the Hawks were able to land Bedard in the lottery. And um, yeah, I can't wait to watch him. He's just uh, I think he's going to be a force in the league, and I hope the the Hawks can surround him with some talent to complement him and you know put him in position to win some cups the way that uh, Kane and Taves were able to with uh, with their running mates, you know, Hosa, Keith, Seabrook, and, you know, eventually Corey Crawford as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to watch Bedard, and I'm also excited on the Columbus end for Fantilli also, so I'm hoping that he's uh, he's going to have a monster year also. But, uh, yeah, it was really good to uh, reconnect with you again and chat a little bit of uh, some football. Yeah, no, my pleasure, man. Always, uh, always a blast, Will, and uh, um, thanks for having me. I always appreciate it. Uh, let the let the pod listeners know if they want some uh, fantasy football advice, they can always uh, catch the show, uh, my show, uh, the Fantasy Football Show, 7 to 8 a.m. Central Time on ESPN Chicago. You can also catch the pod on the app that goes up like basically as soon as, the, as, soon as we wrap it up. So uh, on Sunday mornings, if you're uh, looking for some uh, last-minute fantasy football breakdown, uh, the podcast goes up on the ESPN Chicago app right around uh, 8 a.m. Central. So... If you're looking for some last-minute fantasy football advice, check out the pod as well. So that's always there for the folks. Three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff.